Welcome to Good Business, a weekly podcast to help you create a business that is good for people, planet, and your profit line. I'm Chris Edwards. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I created my first business when I was 28 years old, and that business is a lifestyle guide to Singapore, Hong Kong, and Bali called Honeycombers. Today, we employ over 30 people across four countries in that business, and we have over a million unique visitors to our websites every month. Last year, I founded a new business called Launchpad, which is a community movement designed to support entrepreneurs who aspire to create conscious companies. Launchpad today has members across six countries, and we run between 15 to 30 events every week. We do masterclasses, coaching, and connection calls just for our members. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ups and downs of the entrepreneurial ride and understand how successful and clever innovators and business leaders bring people, planet, and profit together to really create better businesses. I want to know, what does it really take to create a heart-led business? Join me, and together, we're going to find out. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm recording this podcast on, which is Bundjalung country. And I pay my respects to the elders past, present and future. And I extend my respects to all traditional cultures. Okay, let's get into it. My next guest is Tony Tan. He was really sparked by self-reflection during the pandemic and spurred on by his interest in understanding macro trends and human psyche, he decided to revisit his pre-banking aspirations relating to profit for purpose entrepreneurship. And that made him create something good, which is spelled S-M-T-H, good. Something good is an app and soon to be website as well, where you can buy conscious fashion and you can actually also have a play and make lookbooks and earn points by making lookbooks. I really enjoyed this chat. He's only just created something good. So it's about four weeks old and he's in the very early stages of this entrepreneurial journey. It's a very brave decision what he's decided to create. And he talks a lot about really the research and studying the macro changes before he jumped into this project. And he talks a lot about how we shouldn't create products that we want, but rather create products that the market needs. And he also shares the challenges of the really early startups phase and his laser sharp focus on getting brands and customers to really trust his business, which I I found really quite inspiring to hear. I asked him what was his goals, like give me a number, and he was just like it's just about trust, which I thought was beautiful. And then finally we also talk a lot about I suppose the logistical challenges of starting a business like this and getting even suppliers to trust you and to onboard suppliers and the whole process of how his business works. I think you'll really enjoy this chat. Tony was a delight and I think a lot of you will relate to where he's at in his business. Let's get into it. Welcome, Tony. Great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So firstly, congratulations on the launch of Something Good. You launched just this month. Is that right? 
Thank you. Yes, yes, January the 6th. So very exciting. We launched on January the 6th, so it has been less than a month. Um, lots of things to do, lots of data to teach you on and lots of things to improve on. Yeah, I bet. And tell me, why don't we start with, can you just share with our listeners what is Something Good? Sure. So we are a profit-for-purpose social commerce fashion startup. So we have two expressions. We actually have a conscious fashion marketplace that's made up of brands from about seven countries in, from Asia-Pacific, small to medium-sized brands. And then we have another expression, which is a virtual styling local tool. And this is that bit that, that makes us different from other platforms, and it's actually quite interesting. So think of it as um, you know, a collage-making tool virtually. So, Chris, you know, if you like to be creative, you can actually use this tool to put together mood boards, fashion mood boards, and you use items from our marketplace to create these mood boards. And we give you the tools, such as the like background removal, and you can change the color and, and, and the style of the background. You can put different tags, you can put different little stickers. So you put together this beautiful and stylish mood board, you know, to inspire others, and most importantly, to kind of, you know, inspire yourself in terms of that look. Now, another interesting, the, 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 more, the more interesting feature about this lookbook, Chris, is that when you create this lookbook, um, if I actually want to buy something from you, I can. So this lookbook is actually shoppable. And say, you know, Chris, you, 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 you use some, you know, necklaces, skirts to put together a lookbook. And then I say, you know what, this is actually something very pretty. I'm going to get it, you know, maybe for a friend. And I click to buy a skirt that you put on your lookbook. You actually get points, cashback points that can actually use in the platform um, to, to shop. Right. And um, that's it. You don't need to buy anything. You can just create with things from our marketplace and someone buys from you, you get points. If someone likes your lookbook, you get points. So, so it is in a way, it can be a side hustle for anyone you know, who just want to go in and create uh, using items from our marketplace. And they can also use items outside of our marketplace. The key difference is that the person using items outside of the marketplace, you cannot actually, I cannot buy from you. Now, Obviously, you know, this sounds very interesting, but why are we doing this? So for me, when I embark this journey, it's very simple. I really don't want to preach people to buy sustainable fashion or I don't want to preach for people to, to choose consciously. I want people to discover it organically. So by engaging our users in that journey of discovery that, you know what, they kind of play around with it. It's a gamified kind of journey. They use items from a marketplace and say, you know what, this is actually looking quite good. So then, you know, I, we wish for the, the user to go through this journey to come to the realization that, you know what, actually one can look good with conscious fashion. So in looking good, they're actually in the process of doing good and therefore feeling good. So instead of saying that, you know what, we need to do this, we say, you know what, discover play around with it, use things from our conscious fashion marketplace, share with others, and you know what? You get bonuses doing that, and it's like a little side hustle for you. Um, and, and so so for me, that, that is something that I wish for people to, to, to discover. Now, from the sales perspective, if you think about it, I'm actually evolving the sales journey away from a pure transactional journey to one that is a little bit more discovery and give me five lab. Because I just think in, in the research that we've done, Buying behavior has changed significantly and people are just not, you know, it's not about just going to a, a, an app or a website to buy something. It's about that, that inspirational journey, that, that discovery process. So in a way, that's why, you know, we, we are doing what we're doing a little bit different to, to encompass some of the things that I, I, I said earlier. Mm, so interesting. And it leads to my second question, which is I read uh, that you said a quote 
recently in an interview, successful companies give their users what they want, not what they think they want. Is this something that you think you've done and have, have you done a lot of research and is that how you came up with this gamification like point of difference? Spot on, uh, Chris, when, when we started this journey. I mean, it obviously starts with hypothesis first, right? You have this, you know, sense and stuff like, hey, you know what? The, the world is kind of changing. You kind of sense these trends, but you don't want to let's test it out. So let's let's research it. So it was, you have no idea how many photos of research I have from, you know, the top, the, the top consulting firms to, to, you know, periodicals or articles or podcasts or, um, you know, just things that you find on the internet. So I think it's a lot of research. And then from the research, it's about then kind of thinking through what are the trends that the world is moving to. And, you know, it, it's quite clear that conscious buying, people who are actually driven uh, by purpose in terms of the way they buy, you know, be it their values, has actually outweighed that of people who are actually buying according to price. And this is according to IBM's Institute of Business Value, like uh, 2022, the percentage of people buying based on their values or the purpose of buying is about 43%. The first year that he has actually overtaken people who are more price conscious, who are, you know, which stands about 33, 37%. If you look at this survey, actually, I looked at the same survey about four years ago, the weightage was actually 41% more price conscious and 40% more value conscious. So, you know, the trend is there. So, so but, but, you know, having research and having trends gives you that, that sense of direction. Um, then for us, what, what we did was actually, you know, from, from the research kind of thing through, you know what, we know that the trend is, is, is heading this way in terms, of short, in terms of conscious buying. We know that the trend is towards a different purchasing journey in terms of human behavior. And that's through our research from Meta as well as uh, Bain Consulting, if I remember, a couple of research there. So from, from there, we, we kind of think through, you know what, we want, how we want to express this journey of conscious buying. That's, that, that then led us to having a features that are more inspirational, that more gamified led. Now, all these, like, it is still very theoretical. So what we did was actually uh, did a survey with 500 um, online shopping savvy women across demographics, um, 18 to, I believe, 44, right? And we, you know, test, you know, basically um, had a little short video in terms of, it's a very ugly UX UI, I remember, when we did this survey because, you know, we have not actually embarked the journey. as about, you know what, this is what we, we would like to do, you know, the lookbook, kind of play around with it, and then we have this fashion marketplace, but you think and we have this whole list of questions. And through that survey, we I also wanted to take the opportunity to understand a little bit more into this awareness of conscious fashion. Where, what are their thoughts, what are their, what are their misconceptions, or rather their perceptions, which then I realized are misconceptions, and therefore, you know, we're able to actually kind of tweak in terms of our offering to address these misconceptions, address these findings that we have from the 500 surveyees, basically refine the features and kind of test out the features that we want that got us to where we are today in terms of some of the things that we know people like, people do not like, and that gives us a sense, you know, the lookbook, uh, people really, you know, uh, um, you know, are very intrigued and actually like the lookbook idea. They are very curious about conscious fashion, but they have all these misconceptions that, you know, it's very expensive, it's actually not very nice, uh, you know, and the order, there's only a few colors, and then we're like, you know what, that's far from the truth from the brands that we talk to. Obviously, you know, coming back to your question, which is giving the consumers what they want and not what we think they want. I think that was really a nagging thought that that really scares me because, you know, you think about, oh, I want to do X, Y, Z, but then 
you know, it's all in your head, but is it going to really translate? To be honest, the, the research and the survey has got us this far, but ultimately it's about getting the app out to the public and then, you know, to see where the product market fit is. So, so that, I mean, I, I acknowledge that up until this stage, until we actually really get it out of the market, it's still a little bit theoretical, you know, a little bit. I mean, we have mitigated that risk significantly through the survey, but, you know, ultimately my users are the ones that I need to be listening to, to reiterate, to then improve, to really give them what they really want. So it's about listening to them at the end of the day. And how difficult was it to do that research? Like, did you engage a research company to help you? For the survey, we definitely did. We definitely did with a third-party person. And we say, you know what, these are the parameters that we have. Uh, these are the questions that we like. To, and then we kind of walk through them in terms of what are the right questions to ask. And I have a very good sense in terms of what is it I want to accomplish. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm first to admit that I don't know everything, right? And I don't think we know everything. It's about kind of getting that, that, that color and that, that advice from a professional in that field in terms of how to refine it. So we did get external research firm to actually help us with the survey. In terms of the research in the beginning prior to that, to be honest, I love the internet. There's so, there's, there's so much and amazing information. Obviously, it's about distilling it to make sure that, you know, these are credible information. But look, I've been in the banking industry for close to 20 years. I've read countless, countless research papers. So I like to think that I have a pretty okay sense in terms of understanding and kind of seeing through even conflicting research, right? It's not about, like, sometimes it's not about abuse. It's about where do you find a common denominator and like a certain uh, trend. I, I mean, there are different data points, but then you know maybe you know all these data points actually go towards a certain direction. And that's what I was looking for, that, that sense of direction rather than the nitty-gritty details. The nitty-gritty details to be left to the users to decide. And that's why I wanted to do the survey. And now I'm at the stage about even the first month, to be honest, Chris, like I really am talking to the users and I kind of know, oh, you know what, these are the things that should have won the survey, but why is it not translating well in certain of the data that we're tracking? And we've got some feedback saying, you know what, let's test it out. Let's take a little more, more things for the next few months. So, so I think that's how we are seeking to improve. Yeah, cool. Very interesting strategy. I like it. I like the thorough approach there. So you're at, you are at the very beginning. And when I did some research, I could see you had 136 followers on TikTok and 481 followers on Instagram, which I think many of my listeners will be able to relate to because many of our members at Launchpad are in their early days. I'd love to know what's your go-to marketing strategy? How are you going to get your users on your app? Yeah, so for us, it's really about getting the awareness out there, right? I think for, for where we are at today because we're such an initial phase, it's about really getting the word out there and what we're trying to do. For us, we will be and we have been focusing on social a lot more, right? You know, going to the, the right social platforms and ensuring that, you know, we really talk to target audience. We do have in my mind um, some different messages. You know, we have the lookbook, we have the marketplace. So it's about kind of making sure that each of this message is actually pretty distinct yet complementary. Now, we are actually focusing on, on women for now, uh, women's fashion accessories. So when we actually start, quite honestly, you should have seen my ambition board. It was like, oh my gosh, I want to do men, women's fashion, I want to do men's fashion, I want to do kids, I want to do da 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 And I was like, oh no, there's no way. So, so we decided, I decided on, you know, focus, right? And hence, um, you know, when I think about on these various verticals, women's fashion is uh, a Women's fashion is really the, 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 the vertical that has the most breadth and depth, right? So from a market sizing perspective, is it the biggest? So by no means am I saying that it's the easiest to succeed because it's 
a lot of competition. But in terms of hard numbers, it is a big market, right? So, and 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 that, that's obviously the business side of me thinking. I guess the doing good side of me. When I look at fashion, there's a lot of white space to do better. A lot of white space. So, and that's why we decided to choose women's fashion and accessories as first vertical. And that is, I guess, you know, we we want to do one. Uh, go to market strategy good and then think about how we actually potentially then go to other different verticals and are you funded i imagine that all of this has been quite expensive self-funded chris <laughs> we're bootstrapping self-funded yeah yes. oh wow oh congratulations is there a plan to get investment at some stage uh, definitely. I mean, it's a necessity for sure, Chris. I mean, there's no chance that I think when our business can scale without external investments. But I think for the the phase that we are in, bootstrapping, interestingly, again, that I mean, people may have different views, right? Um, but but for, for, from, from what we're experiencing, bootstrapping has given us, I guess, the ability to really focus uh, rather than the need to actually go out there to, to try to talk to investors or try to get investments in. So I think the focus now is really on listening to our, I mean, you know, firstly, obviously the research, the survey, getting, you know, the, the, the platform up, talking to the brands to get them on board. So it's about like, you know, focusing on, on getting a right and good product up. And then that process is iterative. Um, of course, you know, once I you know when, when, when I'm at the stage where I feel that actually this is something that is, I feel that and another investor looking at it will actually go like, you know what, I believe in what you're doing. Let's do it together. I think that's when I would like to really think think about investors, right? Because it's not about just, because what we are doing, I do believe Chris is a little bit unique. And I really believe that the world needs, can combine for profit and doing good. And I think any investors that I would like to have, or, you know, obviously I'm not saying that I have a choice sometimes, you know, given the, the, the tech winter we're in. But I think ideally, I really wish anyone that were, are working with us will also have that belief in combining, you know, social good and for profit to then, I don't see, I would not like to see them as investors in so far that we're really partners to, you know, not just, you know, making profit together, but really, you know, trying to do something good. And, well, the name of my platform, something good. I love that. And I love the name of the platform. It is exactly what businesses can be doing, right? They can be combining profit and purpose. I wanted to ask you, I mean, I've been in the digital space now for, oh, it's almost 15 years. We're in our 15th year. And, you know, lots of people have come to me and said, you've really got to have an app. And, And then I've had other people come to me and say, oh, it's so hard to get people to use apps because people only actually use, what is it, five apps or something like that. I'm interested that your strategy is app-led and when you go onto your website, it kind of directs you to use it on your phone. What was the thinking and was there a lot of research around being app before website? So as I mentioned, you know, we have two key expressions, the marketplace as well as the lookbook, right? And the lookbook is really what we feel is a little bit, you know, that really makes us quite different from other apps. Um, through, I guess, you know, our research in terms of what is the right platform and what is the technology, uh, the, tech, uh, the, the tech solution. So we want to be thinking about, I think having an app actually works very well for our lookbook tool. That said, um, actually we are built on the Flutter platform, which actually means that we, we actually have a web app and an app. Right. So what people are seeing right now is an actual app, but actually powering behind that, we do have a web app. It's just that right now, um, as we embark on this journey, we have to be focused. I was, again, rightly or wrongly, you know, my strategy was, you know what, let's focus on getting it out in an app form. Our web app is actually functioning, but it's not 
refine. So in fact, the discussion I was having my CTO yesterday is, you know what, we have the one month of data, you know, we have the information about the app, let's really try to refine our web app. So that actually is something you are, you are quite right, Chris, you know, there will definitely be some, some form of a friction in terms of, you know, getting people to first download and then come to your app to do something and either create or shop. And that's also the reason why when I started this journey, I really wanted to be to have the versatility. It's just that from a logistic timing perspective and even cost, right? I need to really focus on one first. But now that I know we have and, and really think through about information. So now that one month has passed, we are actually refining the web app uh, uh, part of, of this. So hopefully you're going to be something, you're going to see some changes positively in terms of user experience. Not hopefully, you will see changes. <laughs> so so that, 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 that's really the, the, the thinking. But you are spot on there and in terms of your observation. Yeah, it's interesting. And I totally agree with that. You do need to prioritize. You can't do everything at once. So you do have to put things in an order, especially when you're bootstrapping. This podcast is brought to you by Launchpad, a community movement for conscious entrepreneurs. If you're seeking a sounding board, advice, masterclasses, or maybe just looking for a network of people that are in your corner to support you, come to the launchpad.group website and check it out. We'd love to meet you. So tell me, what does success look like in the first year? Do you have a magic number you want to hit? Yeah, I, I mean, of course I have magic numbers, but I'm not sure if uh, it will be wise for me to share it publicly, quite honestly. And I'm a very candid person, Chris. But, but for me, to be honest, I don't want this to sound airy-fairy, but it's really about earning the trust of the users for the first year, right? It's getting that trust up because we are new. You don't know who we are. You know, we can do all the marketing that we want. We can have the best influencers talk about us, but you don't trust us yet. No one trusts us yet. So how do I build that trust vis-a-vis that brand awareness that we are doing, right? Vis-a-vis that communication that we are doing. Because with that trust can then, you know, translate to active users. And then when there's active users, then there will be people creating, then there will be people buying. So for me, those very important end goals, I mean, that makes or break a platform. That's what all investors will look at, right? You know, what's your sales, what's your active users, blah, blah, blah. But to get there, if I don't earn the trust and have the trust of my target audience, I will never get there. I know it sounds a little bit, um, I don't know what's that word, but it may not sound very concrete, but, but I, I do think that trust is never overnight. It's about process is about you have to earn it it's not given to you so my focus really for my first is really just i want to be that trusted platform for brands for users to know that look you know when i go to something good you can, you can find conscious brands you can find interesting looks that are you know done with conscious fashion you can really do good even through shopping so yeah i mean that, that's really my, my focus and for me success will be gaining the trust of my users for the first year Oh, I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. So you've got about 60 brands so far. I'm wondering, how does it work for the brands? Is it like a traditional retail markup model? How does that partnership part of your business work? So um, we have signed 60-ish. Obviously, you know, we are still... I feel like I'm hurling the ship, hurling the ship to you know get them to to continue to onboard on a platform. So I think we are we will be close to about forty soon, 
In terms of the modelware marketplace, so we actually take commission of the sales that the brands actually make on our platform. Now, because we are new, like I said, coming back to the whole point of trust, right? So for brands who are joining us right now, we actually are calling the pioneer brands. So the commission rate obviously is significantly lower than what we would like the commission rate to be. So yeah, I think it's just our way of, you know, people are taking a risk on us. So we want to acknowledge that. And that's why these pioneer brands actually enjoy a significantly reduced commission rate when they actually get on the platform. And is it a drop shipping model? We are. So um, I know that the word drop shipping seems to have a negative connotation. So to be clear, I just want to clarify that what we mean by that is that our brands are responsible for their own shipping and logistics. So um, when there's an order on our platform, the brands will see it on their dashboard, our something good sellers dashboard, and then they will fulfill it according to their own logistic providers. So again, coming back to focus, right? Of course, and I'd love to you know, work with some of the amazing supporting logistic providers out there to come up with some amazing logistic solutions to all my brands. But when they ask me one question, what's your sales? How do I answer that? Why would they entertain me? So that's some, I mean, I think third-party logistic solution is very important. And that's something that we definitely need to revisit in time to come. How can we actually better the logistic journey for our brands? But right now, I think one of the, the criteria we have when we talk to the brands is, you know, are you able to do fulfillment yourself? Actually, you know what? It may not be a bad thing because some of the brands, they love their flexibility. They love the fact that we don't really dictate certain shipping policies. It's really up to them. So it's, in a way, bias and bias beware. Right? We, we make sure that buyers are able to know, trans, you know in a very transparent fashion what the shipping policy are, what the store policies are, how it's going to be shipped in the days, and it's their call whether they, and then the price, of course, and it's their call whether they want to pursue the purchase or not. Um, to, you know, but, but, but I certainly think that as we mature, this uh, logistic aspect will have to be solved uh, uh, in time to come. Yeah, right. And tell me, has it been hard to onboard these brands that fit your criteria and also have the size and scale and the ability to really take on another platform as a different sales channel. Has that been a challenge? That's a very good question. I think the short answer is yes, definitely, definitely. Um, again, coming back to research, when we started this journey, we really come through the region, you know, look, trying to find our conscious brands and, and not just conscious brands, but conscious brands that kind of fit what, we are doing in our criteria. So, so when I when I first embarked this journey again, I mean, I, I'm a little bit, I'm very confused by the whole concept of conscious fashion, right? So I was like, you know what, yeah, this certification, that certification. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a step back and think about how I can do something good for my users. And I really just broke it down into three. I guess if you think about it, you can think about it from a product journey or a carbon footprint journey. The first aspect of this. What is your product made of, right? And another that you can think about is your product made of sustainable stuff, sustainable material. Is your product uh, uh, um, made upcycled, recycled? So, so the genesis of it, you know, what is it made of? And then we kind of think through these two sub criteria. Then on, and, and then we proceed on to then how is your item made? So is it made ethically? Is it made in a, in, in the right ethical environment? How is it made? From our perspective. Uh, being handmade, small batch itself is also a very low uh, carbon footprint. So it defaults it, it in the second category in how is it made. Then we proceed on to what's the impact of that finished product. So that's why we look at empowerment, right? Are you empowering the communities around you? A brand may be you know, still using plastics, but then because 
what they do need plastics. However, they may say, you know what, I'm actually engaging the community around me and paying them and giving them profit share. So then can we say that they're not doing good? Because they're actually doing, they're doing, they're empowering the community around them. And the second part of that vertical for me is about inclusivity and diversity, right? We have talked to fashion brands out there that are a lot more size inclusive, more gender inclusive, which I we find that it's, it's something that maybe it's not communicated well enough to a lot of people. But I do think that these are the embracing diversity is something that, that can be done more. So, so we want to really encourage that. So with these three pillars, six criteria, then we, we go on this research in terms of where they are at. As I said, we are new. We have a lot of uh, people who, who say no to us, but equally we have also you know, sellers who are very keen to find another avenue to put their products on. And I think because our value proposition is one where, you know, we are a little bit different from as in terms of loophole. So that, that has actually gotten, thankfully, you know, traction as evidenced by the number of brands that we have signed up. But, but it certainly wasn't easier. There's a lot of research that went into it, a lot of business development that went into it. We are still continuously on the lookout. So if any of your viewers, your listeners are conscious fashion brands, come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you. And, you know, if your price point is between USD 20 to 200 plus minus on the thereabouts, you know, we really would love to talk to you because we don't want people to have misconception that conscious fashion is pricey. I love that, Tony. And I definitely have a lot of conscious fashion brands in our Launchpad community. So I think you will have people reaching out to you, but um, very exciting. So what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for something good in the next two to three years? What do you see as the the single biggest challenge besides building trust? Mm, I do think that the trends are right in terms of people buying better, right? And I think it's it's a matter, it's not a matter of, we have, it's really happening. So I think it's a matter of when that, you know, we really see that, that, that increase in people being more conscious. However, the human person is fickle, right? Eons back, would you think that there's going to be a TikTok Instagram that really excites you? No. What will get that consumer excited in time to come? I think that's something that may potentially possess a challenge, in the sense that if a business actually does not keep up, does not understand what's out there, does not understand what the user wants, and continue in their old way and miss out on what the trends are that the consumers are evolving towards, I think that's a challenge. And, and, and it's, why is it a challenge, right? So it, I mean, that there will be costs involved, right, in terms of how you evolve your business. There will be research that needs to be manpower. So, so that itself, you know, if you are not financially ready, or you're not financially able, as much as you want to, you may not be able to. So so I think there's a mix of first, you need to obviously continuously know what your consumers want, be, have, have the ability to, to really evolve to give them what they want and have the financial ability to do all that. Mm. All right. Well, before we round out this interview, I'd love to ask you some rapid fire questions. I'd love to know what is the best business advice you've ever received? Ah, you can always learn and glean perspectives from anyone. It can be the chairman of the board I talked to just last week, or it can be my Gen Z intern telling me, you know what, listen to me, this is not going to work. My community would not like this. So yeah, really anyone you can get advice from and, and learn from. Oh, I love that. That's very, very true. And tell me, if there was another industry that you could disrupt next, what would it be and why? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if um, 
am a disruptor that way, but I certainly think that in the realm of community service and social work, that could be ways to think about it differently. You know, people associate, you know, charities, for example, it's about donation, but what about you contributing with expertise? You contributing, you know, say, say you're a good marketeer, help them market, give, tell them how to market themselves so that they know how to then get funding, you know, through marketing. Maybe their finances, the way they do budgeting is strong. So if you're someone of a, you know, who is in, in, in the financial industry, maybe you can help them, help them improve in terms of the way they do the budgeting. So, so I almost feel that the whole area of social contribution, grassroots are great, but many of us have had the opportunity for a good education. Why don't we contribute that? So, so yeah, I don't know if you call it disrupting. For me, it's about just, a diff- and, and that's something that I feel very passionately about. So when I was um, looking at, when I was heading an umbrella alumni group, uh, we actually, I actually amassed consulting teams, you know, and, and you know, talk to social enterprises and actually offer consulting services to social enterprises for pro bono to really help them improve themselves you know, uh, from business perspective. Because they have to be thinking about running like a business, right? Marketing operations. So then if these, you know, I, I know the alumni from my school are from the top consulting firms, let's contribute that way. So, so yeah. I like that idea. There should be some kind of, platform where you can match your skills with a charity that needs it. That would be cool. Do you have a favorite business book or podcast that's really shaped you? Um, Yes, I do like this book. It's called Getting More by Stuart Diamond. It really gave me a very different perspective in terms of the art of negotiation. You know, obviously we all know in, in when you talk, when you negotiate, it's about win-win, but I think this book really, really captures the essence of a win-win and, and really focuses on that. So I, I think it's a professor from one of the Ivy League schools. I can't remember which one. You know, I've not read it just once, but a few times because I think there's just such amazing details in that book to really help you. And it's all about communication at the end of the day if you think about it. So they, they really focus more about, you know what, in a, in a negotiation, I need to win you. It's about just making sure that you, you eliminate the communication barrier between two people so that you really come to a mutually agreeable and beneficial outcome. Mm, I love it. Okay, we will put the link to that book in our show notes. The art of negotiation is a very good art to master, that's for sure. And finally... Tony, we believe a rising tide floats all boats. I'm sure you know a ton of entrepreneurs that are creating good businesses. But if you had to recommend someone to invite onto this podcast, who would it be? Yeah, so interesting question. It would be my very dear friend, Evan Kui. So he's the vice chairman of Capella Hotels. If you go to any Capella Hotel, you will, I mean, he is synonymous with every single hotel that's part of the group. His passion, his talent, his creativity, and most importantly, his belief in sustainability, uh, it permeates in each of these assets. So, so when I think about someone who is really you know, passionate about what he does, inspiring in terms of you know the resolve and drive, but yet you know that consciousness for the environment, you know, wanting to do good, yeah, it will be him. Oh, wow. I did not realize. I mean, I have enjoyed many a time and a stay at a capella, so I'm going to have to hunt him down and get him on the podcast. Tony, thank you. It's been a delight to chat to you today. I think it's super interesting what you've created and I hope all our listeners download the Something Good app and we'll have a link to it in our show notes as well. And if we have entrepreneurs who have conscious fashion businesses, how are they best to reach you, Tony? 
You know what? Um, shoot me an email, Tony K Tan at something good co as an S N T H G O O D C O dot com. So we have a different play of the word something good. We want to make it kind of fun, but yet really encompass what we're trying to do for everyone. We really just want to do something good, but we want to be a little bit hip right now and call ourselves S N T H G O O D. Love it. Love it. And it is hip and it is now and it is playful. So I wish you every success and I really appreciate your time sharing your journey with us and keep us updated with how it goes. Thank you, Chris. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Three things I have taken out of this chat with Tony is first, I really loved his focus on studying the research and studying the macro changes to make sure that when you're making a new investment or a new business decision, that you're doing it not just on something that you feel is right, but also you have the data behind it. I really like his sharing about the challenges of the startup phase and really that core focus of getting brands and customers to trust his business. And I also found it really interesting to hear about his decisions on choosing to build it as an app versus a website, which is something that I've always thought a lot about in my journey. Tony is a delightful human being who is really, really creating a business with a beautiful sense of purpose. So I hope you found this chat with Tony as inspiring as I did to create your own good business. Thank you for listening to Good Business. Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Selfishly, I created this podcast for my own personal growth so I could go deep with entrepreneurs that truly inspire me. Of course, I also wanted a wider listenership to think about having impact and our wonderful community at Launchpad where we're all aspiring to create better businesses together. If you have enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to leave a review or perhaps share this podcast episode with a friend. That's how podcast episodes get discovered. And I would love more entrepreneurs to think more deeply about their business and about creating a heart-led business with a bigger impact than just profit. And I'm sure you would too. So go ahead and post something on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and spread the word. I will be forever grateful. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you feel as inspired as I am to create your own good business.